Well, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. It's been a couple weeks, uh, actually, two weeks gap since I've been taught, but we're still on the Holy Spirit. And we started out with the Trinity. And the Trinity, we said, is one, that God is one. He's one in essence, but three as to personality. Three individuals, yet one in essence. They all have the very same attributes. Everything that is attributed to the Father as His attribute is to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is the unique person of the Trinity. He's unique in this, that He has a human body. And He is 100% God, and He is 100% man. So he's unique as far as the Father and the Spirit. So he is the one who reveals God the Father. He is the one who has uh, shown us who the Father is. Remember when Philip said, show us the Father? Jesus said, have I been so long with you and you've not seen the Father? I am the representative of the Father. And Colossians tells us, as Paul wrote, that Jesus is the, uh, you've seen the Lord, you've seen the Father. He is the perfect revelation of the Father to us. Okay, so when we talk about this, uh, we want to remember something else about him. Look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7, if somebody would read that, please. I have you read the Bible, so it keeps everybody's interest in here, and you can't go to sleep. <laughs> I don't think it affects some of you, but <laughs> some at least. Philippians 2 7. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Okay, there's always been a question of, of that little phrase. He emptied himself. And what was the next part, Gary? Taking the na very nature of a servant. Okay, took the very nature of a servant, a slave. He emptied himself and made himself a slave. A slave to whom? God. God the Father. Now what he emptied himself of was, he didn't empty himself of any attribute whatsoever. He didn't give up any attribute. All he did, he laid aside the independent use of his attributes while he was incarnate and lived on the earth until his resurrection. So Jesus made himself, he didn't use his attributes independently. He relied totally on what the Father told him to say and what the Holy Spirit empowered him to do. Otherwise he wouldn't be a man. How, does it, how do we, are we supposed to live? We're supposed to live totally dependent on Him. The Father and the Spirit through His Word. Jesus did that perfectly without sin. And so we want to look this morning at the relationship of the Holy Spirit to Jesus in his incarnate state, from his virgin birth to his resurrection. So let's see what he did. Let's start with Luke chapter 1, verses 34 and 35. And our practice will be, uh, you read it and make a comment if you'd like, or we'll help you with the contents. All right, Luke. First guy, read it. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Okay, who conceived Jesus? The Holy Spirit. It's not the birth, the virgin birth, that's the miracle. What's the miracle here? The conception. The Holy Spirit was in, in essence the place of the human father. So the Holy Spirit had a beginning 
with the ministry of Jesus Christ. In other words, the sin nature and the sin curse from Adam did not pass through the human father. It was blunted, and the Holy Spirit did the work. So uh, he is virgin born if he did not have a human father. The Holy Spirit was the one who uh, performed the conception. Any questions, comments? All right. His wisdom, take a look at that in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. Isaiah 11 is a prophecy about him in verses 1 and 2. When a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and strength, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Okay. The future king, while he's incarnate, while he's in the flesh, the Holy Spirit will rest upon him, and he will have wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And he had all those attributes, did he not? Take a look at his teaching in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 and uh, verses 18 to 20. Luke chapter 4, this is an experience in his... Uh, in the beginning of his uh, ministry where he taught in the synagogue. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he, is anointed, he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of the sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Okay. Jesus went into the synagogue in Nazareth, and as was the custom, when a uh, rabbi came in, or a teacher came in, they usually had to let them read the scripture, and they handed him the scroll, which they were going to read that morning, and that's what he read. He read Isaiah chapter 11, 1 to 2. And he, he, he reads it as it is, and he reads in verse 2, when he gets to, to proclaim the favorite year of the Lord, he stops, closes a scroll, and he sits down. Now go back to Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 2, and see that passage, Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 61, 1-2. Fear of the Lord, God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourns. Where did the Lord quit? When he read it in the synagogue, in Luke. Acceptable year of the Lord. Yeah. The acceptable year of the Lord. And that's in the middle of a sentence. The other part of the sentence says, and the day of vengeance of our God. That was not what Jesus read, nor was that which Jesus fulfilled at his first coming. There's 2,000 years plus between in that sentence. In uh, 1 Timothy, it's second, what is it, one of her? 2 Timothy 2.15? Mm -hmm. It says, rightly dividing, what? Word, Word, Word of truth. Yeah. And you're dividing it here. 2,000 years have taken place between the acceptable year of the Lord and the vengeance. That's still future. Talk about that this morning in our morning message. So, uh, is, uh, the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jesus as he ministered here completely. 
What about his miracles? Take a look at Acts chapter 10, verses 38. Acts 10, 38. Acts 10, 38. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went out about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Okay, the Spirit of God was with him. And uh, when it came time uh, for Jesus to heal, the Holy Spirit gave him the power to do so. Uh, and uh, he relied on the Spirit for those kinds of things. And that's why when they blasphemed him in Matthew chapter 12 and said, you're doing the works of the devil, what they were really saying, they were attributing the works of Jesus Christ to the devil when in fact it was to the Holy Spirit. And he says, you have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. You've called the Holy Spirit the devil. And there's no particular forgiveness for that. Why? Because who convicts you of sin? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. And if you have offended him, you're in bad shape. You're in bad shape. Because you're not going to come to conviction of sin in and of your own nature. The Holy Spirit is the one who does that commensurate with your own new nature. Alright, his life. Take a look at Luke 2, 52 and Luke 4, verse 1. Luke 2, 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Okay, the Holy Spirit was with him even in his childhood. He increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God. It's kind of interesting when you stop and think about it a little bit, that Jesus was a, uh, a junior. He was 7th, 8th grade, 6th grade, 5th grade. And what did he know? He had to learn, right? Mm -hmm. It says here he increased in wisdom and stature. He was 100% man, was he not? Yeah. And so he went through every stage of childhood. And he grew in stature. And when he, after he was baptized, Luke chapter 4, verse 1, we read what? Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. Okay, the Spirit of God, after his baptism, led him into the wilderness. And what happened there? He was tempted by Satan. He faced at least many temptations, but three are recorded in uh, the Gospels that he faced face to face with Satan. And how did he overcome them? By referring to the Word of God. He referred to the Word of God. Now, uh, when you and I are tempted, I doubt it's face-to-face -to, -face to Satan. Because where is Satan right now? One place. Pardon? He's in one place. One place. Where is that? Where's Satan right now? He's accusing. Pardon? He's accusing. The yeah, he's in the presence of God, accusing you when you sin, right? According to Revelation, he's there accusing you when you sin. Now, he has a lot of little imps, demons, to contempt us, but for the most part, they don't. Most of our sin, probably a majority, by far, of our sin comes from our old, old nature, our flesh. So you can't say like Flip Wilson used to say, the devil made me do it. Most of it's your, our, own, our own sin and our own shortcomings, pride, etc. It's not to say we're never tempted by a demon, but maybe some bizarre statement. And God and the demons use the sin that we use and exaggerate them to be sure. 
in his death. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. This is a vast subject and we're not totally uh, covering it at 100%. But Hebrews 9, 14. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? Who through, how much more will the blood of Christ, who by means of the eternal spirit, the Holy Spirit, offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience, from dead works to serve the living God. So the Holy Spirit had a part of that as well. And in his resurrection, Romans chapter 8, verse 11. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to you to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Oh, that's quite a verse. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. Now, when it talks about raising Jesus from the dead, the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit all had a part in that. But Jesus came out of the grave as a man in his resurrected body. And... Uh, the other promise in that is we who, have, we who know Christ have the indwelling spirit within us so we will be raised from the dead. The Holy Spirit, how, how long does the Holy Spirit live? Forever. So when you die, the Holy Spirit is still with you. And when you die, you're still alive and eventually the Holy Spirit will raise your body from the dead. And you'll have a brand new body like unto Jesus Christ. <coughs> That's quite a promise, I would say. Dan Connor? Clear as mud? Pastor Yeah. I think I love the timing of this morning's lesson because just just briefly there's there's attacks on both sides of, of this right now in the church as we know with the goofiness that's being you know pretty popular now in, in the series the chosen which wants to portray you know Christ merely as a man he's just a good man a historical man he has no beauty very popular show and on the other side you have the hyper emotional you know, non sorry, non cessation point of view in Asbury and so forth. And I think it's so good for us to be clear, uh, doctrinally clear, on who Christ is, his relationship to the Spirit, and vice versa. Thanks, uh, Ryan. Thanks for bringing that up. We talked about a little bit in our elder meeting this morning about uh, number one, the chosen, and it was brought up who sponsors the chosen? Mormons. And I've not watched it, but I guess uh, some people in our church watch it and, and, and think it's not too bad. But listen, the Mormons uh, sponsor it, and I can tell you right now, the Mormon faith is out of the pit of hell. Uh, the Mormons believe ultimately this, that there was God and he had two sons. One was Jesus Christ, and the other was Lucifer. Now, that, if that isn't blasphemous, then I don't know what is. I wouldn't be for anything they sponsor. And I would rather hear a little tiny church put on the Messiah by handle half off tune than to hear the Mormon tabernacle singer. Wouldn't you? Because I know a little tiny bottle church putting on a Messiah, for the most part the people there are believers and believe what they sing, whereas it's used by the devil, by the Mormon choir, to make people think favorably of his cult. 
Okay, uh, I have faith when the car going so I can walk out of here. <laughs> uh, secondly, uh, the Asbury revival. We all want revival, right? Would you say? We need a revival? Now, there's two kinds of revivals. There's a revival of signs and wonders, which will not last. There's another revival where people repent of their sin and lives are changed. And that, you want a picture of that revival? Go to Acts chapter 19, where there was a revival in the city of Ephesus to the point that people burned their books, destroyed their idols, to the point that the people who actually made the idols at a town meeting about the loss of business in their city. So that's revival. And it's probably, this side, we talked about this too, and, and we were talking about the fact that, as Gilly said, maybe it's a little early to tell, but it's probably like the Jesus movement of the 70s, where for the most part it's over and for the most part it was charismatic and, and dull. However, there are a few people saved in that uh, movement and we're thankful for that and that could be happening here as well. I know our son uh, Rick is preaching in Birmingham, Alabama and Samford University is one of the other schools that has been greatly uh, uh, affected by this revival. So he is, his phone been ringing off the wall on what people think about this. Hey Ron, as long as you're uh, on this subject, the, the whole ad campaign of He Gets Us is yeah. along the same kind of lines. Uh, it's, it's the, the people behind it, some are good, but some are not. What ad are you talking about? He gets us. He gets us. You seen that ad on television? Mm -hmm. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the first time I saw it, what is this? And it's sponsored a big by by businessmen, billionaires. One is Hobby Lobby, who uh, the owners are uh, from uh, Oklahoma City, and. Uh, they go, they're Nazarenes, not that, to, not that I'm killing all Nazarene denomination, but I do know the church they go to, we have some friends that go to that same church in Oklahoma City. And there's others involved, Catholics as well as, uh, what were some of the others we mentioned? There are several Protestant groups that are loosely affiliated with you know larger church right. bodies, but it's a, it's a very ecumenical, woke movement, the idea to sort of appeal to emotion and kind of desensitize. And I think it's good for us to see again, you know, what, what, does, what does Christ's biographer John and Mark and Matthew and Paul, what do they have to the authenticated authors, inspired authors, who do they say Christ is? Who do they say the Holy Spirit is? Right. It's a, it's a good time to remember. It's, it's, uh, we're living in days in which you really have to be discerning. And you have to compare things with the Word of God. Any other comment? Well, there's also that movie, uh, Greg Laurie's movie. Um, uh, yeah, the new movie coming out by Greg Laurie. Yeah. What's that one called? Jesus yeah. Revolution. Jesus Revolution. Revolution. You're going to watch it. Be careful. I think the biggest concern, too, in all of that is if we don't have the clear doctrine of the Holy Spirit and how to employ the Holy Spirit in our sin and in this broken world, it is so much easier to become susceptible to those right. sexual attacks. And I think that's the nugget that we want to talk about all these things politically and whatever, but what it really comes down to is without solid doctrine and the understanding of Matthew, Mark, Luke, right, we are absolutely more susceptible 
to lose spiritual attacks. Um, and that has eternal impact on not just us, but on all of the ones around us. All the world. Yeah. You, uh, at some point in this study, we will, our church, our church takes a, a cessationist stand. By that we believe that the signs and wonders, tongues, and uh, miracles per se, are uh, past tense. Not to say that God can't perform miracles. But we want to show you from Scripture why we take that view. And I think it would be pretty clear. But we will discuss that in this class in the next few weeks or so. But Rod, you were talking about the Mormons. Uh, they also have a kind of a funny belief on Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, who were kind of founders. And Joseph Smith is an equal prophet to Jesus Christ. So he's not just a god, he's just a prophet. <laughs> that, that's, well, yeah. that's, way, that's way off here. Well, you find out when you become, whenever you stray from the, from the scriptures, the first thing that happens is you, you abandoned the deity of Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. He becomes a teacher. He becomes a prophet. Whether it's a cult like Jehovah Witnesses or a cult like Mormons or any cult, first person that goes is Jesus. So where do they get to that point? Are they adding to Scripture then? Is that what they're doing? Oh yeah, they don't. Scripture, does. they have their own Scriptures. Okay. Uh, Mormons have Joseph Smith, the Book of Mormons. Yeah. And Jehovah Witnesses have uh, their founder whose name skips me right now. Their founder wrote his, rewrote the Bible. And especially in John chapter 1, <clears throat> those few verses, I drank his punch, and I think that affected me. <laughs> but I made sure it was non-alcoholic. <laughs> but anyway... Uh, so much for the revival. <laughs> so much for this class. <laughs> Where was I so before I so rudely interrupted? <laughs> That's a, the first person to go is the Lord Jesus Christ and His deity. In liberal circles, what do they do? That's the first to go. Of course, the scriptures are the first to go as well. Right. It's just that yeah, the oh. whole thing is has to be centered on the on the Word of God. It's, yeah. You know, and uh, and this Asbury deal, they. they you don't hear, I mean, the gospel preached, per se. I mean, people that have gone there that have heard have said they're, they're just singing and, and all that. Also, a, a, another factor we discussed this morning was that it's made up of worship leaders. Yeah. A, a number of them are gay. How is that spelled? The Asbury? A-S-B-U-R-Y. Okay. Okay, we... Uh, I was, just gonna, I was just going to share from Gilly's message and part of it in that fourth session and then a little bit on Sunday morning in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 uh, and 4. It says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. They'll turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Okay. That's a good section, and uh, <coughs> notice the churches accumulate for themselves teachers because they have itching ears. Sometimes we're, click, we're quick to blame the preachers for leading the church astray, but that's what the church wants. Think about that, too. It's not just the preachers, it's the people that don't want the truth either. So they hire preachers who will give them smooth ears, who will tickle their ears. Okay, we'll move on.
or you have more to say or you want to talk about? I think it's a good discussion. I think it was really good last Sunday with Dr. Gilly giving the history of what, like the 70s and the 80s, like my husband and I have lived through that time. And we just saw how it really um, affected. It was, you know, it was in the churches. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's so, um, and, and I said something to my daughter line. She said, I didn't even, you know, she wasn't born then. <laughs> you know, so the history, just kind of reviewing that and just seeing where God has, you know, God, it was always there and, you know, and protected those who were searching for, like we're talking the true doctrine, the true true truth, and uh, how you see God has brought us through a time yeah. that he's always, Satan's always going to continue to bring something new along. And so. Nothing's new under the sun, right. so all it is is relabeled. Yeah. We have the same air mm -hmm. that's repackaged. And uh, this has been going on in church history, but it's like a snowball in 1 Timothy 4, 2 Timothy 3, it'll grow worse and worse as the snowball of false teaching started in the early church. It's been gaining momentum over the last 2,000 years and we're toward the end, and it's really a massive snowball right now, and it's really coming down the hill pretty fast. As we, we've all mentioned, even uh, from the last weekend to this weekend, that uh, we're in a free fall. Yeah. It's like what Gilly said, we're biblically illiterate. Illiterate. You know, and it's rather simple, you know, it's in Matthew 28, go therefore and preach the gospel. Mm -hmm. You know, discipling, discipling is really right. Key. Teaching them Teaching all them. things yeah. whatsoever I command you. Okay, churches are not doing that, unfortunately. Uh, we're in a minority. Uh, but thank God we have the opportunity. Okay, we want to look at the Holy Spirit now and His restraint of sin. This is one of His ministries. The Holy Spirit restrains sin. Alright, for the first of that, we see in the Bible is Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. Genesis 6, verse 3. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. Right. God said, to, said, My spirit will not strive with men forever, in fact, he puts a limit on it, 120 years in which Noah built an ark. And uh, the Spirit was God. How many people were saved when the flood came? Eight. Eight people. If you look at the genealogy, and, and uh, it's a pure genealogy from Adam to Noah, there are about 1,650 years. 1,650. The genealogy is, which I believe it is, uh, 1111. Then, uh, Henry M. Morris, who is a hydraulic engineer with a PhD degree, who wrote the book, co-authored the book, The Genesis Flood, Figuring the, the uh, increase in population as, as a certain percentage, which basically is today, you had the earliest recorded birth, it was at 60. The late recorded birth was Noah. How old was he when his sons were born? 500 some years. And he had three sons. Uh, the window to have children in our day is quite a bit considerably shorter, right? Well, if it was that long, you could have a lot of children. And he figured about 10 kids to a family. And there would have been almost over a billion people by the time the flood came. With a life experience, Span 
averaging over 900 years. My dad put it right one day when I was home visiting and they're hauling corn and he said, you know, it's backwards. When, I, when we have children, I'm poor. I'm a young man and I got to work day and night. When I'm old and have some kind of a means to rest a little bit, my children are gone. But in those days, you could have, you could have had your children around for 60 years. Got tired of them. Became empty nesters, you could have another batch. Anyway, God said, I will not restrain, I will not strive with men any longer. I'll talk to you a little bit about the days of Noah in the next session. The preaching, it's, he's restrained sin by preaching and by conscience. Take a look at, at uh, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 30, and Acts chapter 7, verse 51. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 30. Nehemiah is before Psalms. So if you're in Psalms, you've overshot your runway. I was before with them for many years, and, and admonished them by your spirit and your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the land. Okay. Like he says, I, uh, I admonished them by your spirit through the prophets. <laughs> But they wouldn't give ear. How about Acts chapter 7, verse 51? You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Resisting the Holy Spirit. When you witness to somebody and share your faith with somebody and they resist you, who are they resisting? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives you the impetus, gives you the courage to talk about Christ. So when you're sharing the gospel and people resist, they're resisting the Holy Spirit. When you read the Word of God and it says, here's what you are to do, and you don't do it, who are you resisting? Who? The Spirit. The Spirit of God. You're saying no to the Spirit of God. I know better. I'm smarter than the Spirit of God. I'm not going to obey that. I'm rebellious. And there are two sins against the Holy Spirit that you can commit. One is in Ephesians 4 where you grieve the Holy Spirit. It says do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And that's by having sin in your life that you're not willing to deal with. You grieve the Spirit of God. And then there's another sin in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, quench not the Spirit. That's saying no to it. When it's obviously that the Word of God says something and you're not willing to do it, you're not willing to obey that, you're quenching the Spirit of God in your life. But we are told to walk in the Spirit, to be filled, controlled by the Spirit, not to quench it or grieve it. Okay, so he restrains sin through the Word of God, through preaching, through teaching, through reading. He also, uh, he governs the nations. Take a look at Numbers 27. Wait, I'm in the Old Testament. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I'm right, okay, the governing of the nations. Alright, look at Numbers 27, 15 to 20. Then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who will go out and come in before them, and who will lead them out and bring them in, so that the congregation of the Lord will not be like sheep which have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun, a man in whom the Spirit is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him, and have him stand before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation and commission him in their sight. 
You shall put some of your authority on him in order that all the congregation of the sons of Israel may obey him. Okay, Joshua had the uh, Spirit of God in him, which equipped him to be able to lead the Israelites, which is not an easy job. Right? And he was a great leader. Read the book of Joshua. How faithful Joshua was. And don't you like his words in verse chapter 24? Choose you this day whom you'll serve. But it's for me and my house. What? We will serve the Lord. Man, all of that. We'll serve the Lord. Whatever. I don't care what you decide to do. I do care, I guess. But whatever you decide to do, be assured of one thing. We're going to serve the Lord here. So he helped in governing the nations. You could give a lot of other examples of that, like Saul. We'll, we'll do a little bit later. The leaders of the nations. Take a look at Judges. And uh, verses, chapter 14, verses 5 to 7. And Samson went down to Timnah with his father and his mother and came as far as the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, so that he tore him as one tears a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. Killed a lion with his bare hands. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he killed him with his bare hands. And uh, according to history, the lions that roamed up and down the Jordan River Valley weighed about 300 pounds male lions. <clears throat> which would be a formidable opposition if you ran into one who wanted you hopefully run away but take a look at him again in chapter 15 verses 14 and 16 where you see his uh, which made him a leader in the military when he came to Leah, the Philistines shouted every man in this Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, so that the ropes that were on his arms were as black that he was burned with fire, and his bonds dropped from his hand. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, so he reached out and took it until a thousand men with it. And Simon said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaped upon heap, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have killed a thousand men. Okay. How many men did he kill? With the jawbone of an uncle. A thousand men. That's a third of Aurora. Think of that. Wiped out Hampton. Anderson. Bradshaw. Wiped them all out. One in one one whack. And then what was his last act? The pillars. Yeah. Yeah. He put his arms around the pillars. And how many killed in that? I think 3,000. More than he ever killed in his lifetime. Yeah. And he wiped out the leaders of the Philistines. One thing about it, Samson wasn't known for his uh, high moral standards. <laughs> no, not exactly. We'll talk about that a little bit later. How about with uh, architectural work for worship? Take a look at Exodus 31, 1 to 5, or 2 to 5. God's interested in beauty. Wouldn't you say? Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all kinds of craftsmanship, to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and in bronze, and the cutting of stones for settings, and in the carving of wood, that he may work in all kinds of craftsmanship. I should have, uh, Dennis Gertson has a, uh, a uh, PowerPoint 
on the tabernacle and how beautiful it was. Somebody put it together. The gold on the interior, the beautiful veil, the beautiful coverings. This was a masterpiece and somebody said it'd be over $10 million to build it today. And it had all kinds of artistic coverings in it and everything else and God wanted it a certain way and God wanted it when you looked at it it was drab but when you got inside and saw the interior the colors all mixed together it was beautiful and God's not opposed to beauty God's not opposed to beauty he just took a look around you and uh, in a couple months you'll see this drab winter you'll see green and you'll see all kinds of beauty and in fall you see all kinds of beauty this is God who does this remember we talked about it in another class that God the Holy Spirit is the artist of nature and when you see the sunset or sunrise if you took a time-lapse photographer photography of it photographed it time-lapse you would see every color of the rainbow showing up in the sunset just <laughs> as he takes his brush and brushes the sunrise and sunset plus the night sky as well have you looked at in the early evening in the sky you see two planets right close together Venus and Jupiter and we're between them, by the way. They're together up there. And we, our orbit is in between those two. Where Venus is our uh, sister planet, it's about our size. And then Mars is between us and uh, Jupiter. Okay. I just love the... Uh, our God and how beautiful he, he makes things that are ugly even and can make them beautiful. What a great God that we have. Okay. The enablement of writing poetry. Take a look at 2 Samuel 23, 1 to 2. 2 Samuel chapter 23, 1 and 2. the song how beautiful heaven must be these are the last words of david the oracle of david son of jesse the oracle of the man exalted by the most high the man anointed by the god of jacob israel's singer of songs the spirit of the lord spoke through me his word was on my tongue okay the spirit of the lord is upon david would you say that some of the psalms have never been matched by human poetry the Lord is my shepherd. What's the next line? He what? He make you know it? He maketh me to what? He restoreth my soul. There you go. What a beautiful psalm. How about Psalm 8? What is man that you should delight in him? And you can think of other psalms. Think of the mastery of the 119th psalm, where every verse starts with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet and is written in symmetry and beauty. We don't always get that in English, but you get that in Hebrew. It's a masterpiece, really. None like it. And every line of that verse starts with that letter of the alphabet. So uh, it really is a, a beautiful piece of work, how God put that together, the Psalms. He enables us for courage. Look at 2 Chronicles 24, verse 20. We could give numerous examples of this. Who gives us the courage to stand up for the Lord? 2 Chronicles 24, 20. Then the Spirit of God came on Zechariah the son of Jehoiada the priest, and he stood above the people and said to them, Thus God has said, Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord and do not prosper? 
because you have forsaken the Lord, he has also forsaken you. What happened to him? They killed him. But he stood up and said his sentence. God has not given us a spirit of what? Fear, but what? Of power and a sound mind. God is not a fearful God. The spirit of God within us is not weak. We are weak. But the spirit of God gives us courage to do what we need to do to please him. And the prophets and the prophecies how about Numbers uh, 24, verses, verse 2. You have 1 to 3, but let's go verses 2 and 3. Here's a prophet that didn't want to prophesy what God wanted. Numbers 24, 2 and 3. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping tribe by tribe. And the Spirit of God came upon him. And he took up his discourse and said... All right. He didn't want. He was paid to curse Israel, and when he opened his mouth, the Spirit of God gave Israel some of the greatest blessings of the New Testament, Old Testament. So Balak, who hired him, said, "Okay, that, we didn't pay you to do this. Let's go on the other side." And he opened his mouth and gave further blessing. So God even took people who didn't want to please him and the Spirit of God used him. Plus, the Spirit of God used a donkey to warn him. How about uh, what else did I have? I had another prophet here. I don't know. I don't see it. Do you see anything in your notes? That was Numbers 24. Let's, go, let's finish with that. But in many times in the Old Testament you read, and the Spirit of God came upon a certain prophet. The Word of the Lord was on that prophet. And that was the Spirit of God speaking through him. I know what I'm missing. I'm missing a page here. Uh, where the Spirit of God came upon Ezekiel and took him to Jerusalem in Ezekiel 8. For he took him to Jerusalem and Ezekiel uh, later in the book took him into to Jerusalem to see exactly what was going on. But Numbers 24, 10 to 13 says, Then Balak's anger burned against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, but behold, you have persisted in blessing them these three times. Therefore, flee to your place now. I said I'd honor you greatly, but behold, the Lord has held you back from honor. He could only speak what God told him to speak. Any comments? 10 o'clock. All right, thanks.